that, that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi. Did you know that you can watch Last Podcast on the Left and Side Stories on our Patreon right now? Yes, that's patreon.com slash Left. But over on TikTok, you can see the hottest, tightest, funniest clips from the show right there. It's TikTok. TikTok. It's at LP on the left. It's the same as our Instagram. You already follow the Instagram. Why don't you go follow TikTok? But it's on TikTok. Yeah, because seeing is believing. Yep. So just go check it out. Watch it. Go send our podcast to China. I love TikTok the crocodile. It's my favorite TikTok. It's the only one he knows. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. We are here. It's me and Ed. Hello. Ed Larson. I'm Marcus Parks. Welcome to the last podcast on the left. We are here sitting with James Tinian the fourth. Hey guys. One of the most absolutely incredibly talented comic book writers out there uh, putting out work right now and by far the best horror writer out there in comic books right now. Thank you so much for joining us today, James. Thank you very much, and thanks for saying very nice things about me. Of course. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. The fourth. Yeah. That's very impressive. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My no. father changed his last name. He didn't even, you know, I, I'm, I'm the first of nothing. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just at a family wedding, and I keep getting, like, it's one of those things. Everyone's very proud of me and all that shit, but then I get these uh, little... Like all of a sudden my cousin comes up to me and it's just like, no, they can't Google me. Nobody can Google me. Like my last <laughs> name, just like everything points to your, your stuff. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh there's a, there are a lot of, there are a lot of Tynans out there, but it's a made up spelling of the last name. It's like a totally like made up spelling. So everyone who's those spelling that I have is related to me. So you can bug those, all those people, you know, uh, nice. yeah. <laughs> no, for the for the longest time, uh, I was beaten in Google by a Marcus Parks from Baltimore who had no arms but could shoot guns with his feet. 
I mean, he uh, should still be number one. Yeah. He no, should. I mean, like, that, that, that feels like it deserves the top spot. Yeah. I actually felt bad when I toppled him. Yeah. I'm like, and that guy really deserves it. We should have James write a book about this guy. Give him up. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna, Marcus, you're, you're going down. We're, we're, we're getting this guy back to his... Uh, his oh. I'll gladly give it up. Yeah. Uh, so Ed here, Ed's, uh, he is new to comic books. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I had him when I was a kid, but I took a lot of time off. I mean, the last graphic novel I read was like 30 days a night, you know? So it's been a while and I'm, I can't even, the whole time I'm reading Department of Truth, Marcus made me borrow his copy of it. I'm not destroying it, I hope. And it's uh, fine. Be as rough as you want. Comics are meant to be read. Fuck yeah. yeah I love that because I kind of think I broke the spine. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah no i like literally i stopped down yesterday just to like take a break and absorb everything i just read because it's like top to bottom information the pictures are information everything's beautiful and i was just like i need to change the way i live my life and start getting into graphic novels more you like like you like changed me completely as a human well, I apologize for that. Uh, well. <laughs> it's, it's a weird little rabbit hole to, to fall down. Uh, but I guess this, the whole podcast is kind of about literally every kind of weird rabbit hole that you could fall down. Uh, yeah, man. Oh, no. Ed's entire life has changed in the last few months. He's fucked. Yeah, man. It's <laughs> yeah, I still don't believe in anything, but uh, it's uh, it's nice to you know learn about everyone's fears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and it's just like, and this is the thing where it's just like those beliefs start being like, well, it's like it's not. I don't believe it, but I have a lot of thoughts about it constantly, and it just lives in my head. Uh, yeah, and that, that starts to starts to leave an effect. Well, since we are talking about my new knowledge and just reading this, uh, the Department of Truth, um, I know you guys talked about it a lot in your last interview, but like I, I couldn't help it. I, I really want to ask this, which like conspiracy theory, cryptid, which one do you believe in the most? Like which one of these in Department of Truth like holds the most water to you? Oh, boy. That's always so hard because it's just like the... Like one of the big things that I wanted to hit at with Department of Truth is kind of the that I find the most interesting is I kind of see a lot of conspiracy theories like folklore. Like it is just the it's the stories that we keep going back to and telling over and over and over through time. And I find it so fascinating that you see the same ones come back like, you know, like cycles in the way that you can see you know, QAnon to satanic panic, like going all the way back to, you know, the, the medieval times. Like, it's just like every, if every century, it just pops back up. Sometimes every few decades, it pops back up. And it's just like, I, I love that. I love the, I mean, it's like, I don't love the effects of that, um, no, but it's yeah. just the, it's fascinating that when people are put under the same kind of pressures that they come to the same beliefs over and over and over again, it sort of, it says something about how we think uh, and how we interact with the world. And, and like, and that's the real, like I say in the first issue, you know, uh, the character Cole Turner, he kind of uh, talks about how uh, the, you know, how, people go towards like conspiracy theories because it like, it helps give structure to the world. And it's mm -hmm. just like the awful truth of the world is there's not a lot of structure to it. A lot of things do just happen kind of chaotically for, you know, random reasons and all that stuff. But it is the, like it, it is, it's about kind of taking control of the world and rewriting the narrative so that you're on the, you're like on the side of good. 
that it's just like that they are doing something bad. And that's the reason your life is not going the way you want it to. And like, and that's, and you are good because you are standing against it. It is like, it's the most appealing fantasy that we all go to over and over and over. And a lot of dangerous beliefs can can go that. I mean, and the real answer is, is like, it's UFO shit. UFO shit is like <laughs> where I am like, But it's like, I don't think it's like necessarily like, you know, little gray men and all that, but there is some kind of manifestation that we hit over and over and over again, like going all the way back through folklore. There are moments that humanity comes in contact with something that it's our brain, little meat brains can't process. And, and then they, they sort of try to make sense of it. And like what that actually is, what it means, I'm open to a million different opportunities, but I do think we bump into something, something else sometimes. Well, I mean, I think what's fascinating with me about like modern conspiracy thought is that it feels like for the first time, like first time in history, although conspiracy thought has come about over and over and over again. And if we're being honest, most of the time it has to do with Jewish people when yeah. it does come through. Uh, for the It seems like for the first time in history, like conspiracy has been gamified, you know, yeah. especially with QAnon and the way that people can actually interact with a conspiracy. They can, they create the conspiracy themselves. That's what makes QAnon so fascinating is that it's a conspiracy that is built upon, it's a, gigantic game of yes and that yeah. has just gotten completely out of hand it's the it's like the id building its own conspiracy the id of the internet building its own horrifying conspiracy that in the end still kind of works out to the same conspiracy that's always been there it's like it's in it's like these conspiracies are inevitable yeah no and it's it is this you know it it because it's always just a dark reflection of us and this is something like weirdly like that touches directly onto like a few of my other comic projects uh especially the way that you know something that i've been terrified by my entire life especially like growing up in the social media age is just the how quickly dangerous information spreads and how poorly equipped we are for for its spread because it's just like we do not don't process whether or not information is good or not like before like it passes along and it's like i did a series uh very early in my career called mimetic which is just about like an image of a sloth posted online that ends the entire world in three days and that was like the biggest (laughs) version of that idea uh, it's still one of my favorite ideas. Uh, but the, you know, more recently I've done a series called World Tree, uh, which is very much about like the, you know, the people who grew up like like we did. And during an era where the Internet was all about possibilities and like the way human connection would lead to uh, you know, like a utopia, like the, all of these good things that would happen. And then cut to today, where it's just like it hasn't. It definitely yeah. has not. Uh we're uh you know, like if anything, it's kind of pulled us in the opposite direction because it is the manifestation of all of the kind of like darkest impulses we have uh, and and focused in this like, you know, dark, corroded way. Have you read the interview from uh, one of the original Internet utopianists who has looked back on the uh, legacy of the Internet? It was uh, one of the it's one of these guys. I can't remember who what his name was exactly, but he was one of the guys that back in the 90s uh, was selling the Internet hard as this utopian thing that was going to bring the whole world together. And, you know, we absolutely can handle this responsibility and not only that. But, you know, you you're not going to believe what the world's going to look like in 2015, 2020. Everyone's going to be together. And I think around 2018, he gave an interview uh, full mea culpa. And it was like, yeah. hey. I was wrong. I was yeah. so 
wrong. I could not have, I could not have seen, I, he's like, I should have seen what the set, what the internet could have done. I should have warned everybody, but instead I was looking at it with rose colored glasses. Yeah, man. There was like an information, they call it the information superhighway, mm-hmm. but no one put up a fucking speed limit sign. <laughs> and, you know, we, we were just like fucking rocketing towards everything. And now we live in this age of misinformation. So it's like, it's become, there was so much information that none of it's true anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's bizarre. It drives me, it drives me crazy. And it's like, I love the way you did this book. Um, and I'm sure I'll, I'm sure everything I read of yours in the future is going to make me feel the same way. But it, when I was reading this, I was, I couldn't help but thinking of, this is my opinion, not yours. Uh, that horrible Obama end of the world movie mm-hmm. that just came out where like, you know, the world ends because of misinformation. I felt like this was what that was trying to do. Yeah. And I, and I feel like you nail it where they fucked up in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very glad that you enjoy it. <laughs> but yeah, t- tell like tell us about World Tree a little bit because like World Tree is one of the books I look forward to the most every month because it's full of such strange ideas and it's it's scary, it's beautifully drawn. Like t- tell us a little bit about the uh, the concept behind it. And yeah. and perhaps maybe your intention behind writing that story. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, it comes from a few different places. Like I, uh, so I, I listened on a road trip once I listened to, I think it was an episode of sword and scale, uh, about the Luca Magnati, uh, like, uh, murders and like, because he, he posted them, those murders online. And then, but the thing that caught me, was the idea of like it started spreading around online as a kind of like gotcha video, like uh, like a gross out video that kids were watching it and recording their reactions to watching it. And like the I had to stop the listening to the podcast while I was listening to it because it was actually playing like some of the like and one of the voices was so young, so, mm-hmm. so young reacting to like the video that they were watching of someone being murdered. And it was just like the most like one of the most like brutally upsetting things that I've ever like heard with my own ears. And it's just like so the, you know, like th- that planted like a seed in the back of my mind. And it started like coming together with a few of my with a lot of my feelings about uh, the Internet and how like uh, how much I loved it growing up, how it used to be the sort of person that is just like, you know, uh, going back to middle school, it's like I would race to come home to like talk to my friends online. Those were my real friends, like living through uh, forums and AOL Instant Messenger. Like that was just like my whole life. Uh, and, you know, and then cut to today where it's just like I'm pulling back more and more from social media entirely. Uh, you know, I mostly just post like, you know, selfies of me going to the gym. Uh, like that's the, that's it. That's like all I'm putting out there into the world anymore, but it's, and I'm trying to re refine my connections in the real world with, with like real human beings and all of that, because it's just like, it brings so much more to my life. Um, and like, I wanted to play with that kind of tension and like the past and the present. Uh, and so it's kind of, there is, I mean, so the high concept of it is, you know, uh, that a group of friends discovered that there was an evil in- internet that existed beneath the internet uh, back around 1999. 
uh, and that there was something from the other side trying to break through. And this was me trying to capture that feeling from when I was a kid of when you would like you'd click through these like GeoCity websites, web portals, and you just fall down this like weird rabbit hole to like weird websites that were just like number like broke broken websites of numbers and like glitchy glitched images that wouldn't load properly. Yeah. And it's just like, you would fall into this other side of the internet. So I wanted to make that literal where it's just like, they literally fell into another internet and something malevolent was trying to come through there. And then it's the story of how they sealed it off back then. And they thought it was safe. And then they thought they built the good version of the internet over it. And then you see the way, then you see it come hurtling back through uh in present day like and uh you know like terrorizing all these people so uh it's one of the brutal things that i've written <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah an actual entity coming through and terrorizing and, and you know possessing and killing lots yeah. of killing like so yeah, yeah. much killing yeah, i'm ready it's very 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 <laughs> bloody it really is uh and i love the idea behind it you know of like this yeah it's like sort of the idea of like the internet actually reaching out and you know not just influencing people to do bad things but telling people to do bad things making people do horrible things yeah Live from your grave. the only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. You're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for the little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product right now. Aura has a great deal for mother's day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best selling frame. That's a U R a frames.com. Use code left at checkout to save Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. 
But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. One of the things I've noticed about uh, some of your books recently <laughs> is that you've been doing a lot of like apocalyptic stuff, like with, you know, with World Tree, with a nice house on the lake. Like, is there, is your brain starting to sort of move towards the apocalypse lately? Uh, I mean, it feels more like the world's moving towards the apocalypse, <laughs> like slightly. And it's just the, you know, I think it's kind of reflecting that feeling. And especially like, I, I realized very early on, I didn't really want to write like post-apocalyptic stories. I wanted to write apocalyptic stories. I wanted to yeah. write the story about the collapse. Um, and, and because it just, it feels like, you know, even though it's a less literal collapse, like we're living in an era of collapse of systems kind of falling apart around us. Uh, they were built to work. They worked for like three or four decades and then they worked almost they worked half as well for three or four decades. And now we're in the three or four decades after that. And it's not working anymore. And at some point we'll have to build all, whole new systems. But it's just like right now we're living in this like really dangerous, weird moment. Uh, and I find it deeply fascinating and horrifying. And yeah. I think it leads to the. The, you know, there are the moments that lead to the worst of us. And I think as a horror writer, it's like I like leaning into the worst of us. But then I also try to like lean into what I sort of, you know, I, I try to bring a humanist perspective where it's just like I want to express what I think is, uh, you know, like what I think is good in humanity as well. Uh, you know, and it is it's it's our little weird, messy bits like it's not the it's not our altruism or anything like that it's like it's kind of the ways in which we're like goofy and we fuck up like that's yeah. actually what make us like special um yeah yeah the human moments the little yeah. the just little interactions between us like you know what's going to happen when when everything's collapsing like how are you going to have how are you going to make small talk with your neighbor while yeah. the world is collapsing around you yeah man it's like and it's so to me so much more ballsy to write about the apocalypse as it's happening because a lot of the post-apocalyptic stuff that you see it's like they don't even bother to explain it because it's like how do you explain the end of the world you yeah. know it's like you know like the road is unbelievable but it's all about the post they don't even bother they're telling you how it happened. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. to, to tell us how it's going to happen, that's a ballsy move, man. 
Well, you know, I uh, and I mean, this is also the downside of me working on all of these very long form stories is just like we're in the middle of a lot of them. So it's just like, we'll see if I pull it off at the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. When do you think the world's going to end? Yeah, I mean, hopefully after I finish telling all these stories. Like that, I want to like, then it's just like, I'll, you know, I'll make the call and just be like, all right, we can do it now. Uh, yeah. Isn't it like every society think the world's ending around them? Isn't that how it is? Well, I mean, that's the argument could be made that many societies have ended over and over and over again. Like the, the apocalypse isn't necessarily like the apocalypse can be a very personal thing to a society. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. It just has to be the end of that world. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. I'm going to fucking shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something's going to come later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Always something going to come later. Um, so as a horror writer, like, you know, like, what was the first horror comic book? Like, not necessarily the first horror thing, not the first horror movie or the first horror story. What was the first horror comic book that didn't necessarily scare you, but the first one that kind of made you say, wow, like, that was a fucking great horror story? So it's it's kind of a weird one, uh, but it was Johnny the Homicidal Maniac uh, <laughs> by Vasquez, and yeah. it's like, and it's not necessarily about like it is the best constructed horror story because it's it's so like messy and over the top in so many different directions. Uh, but it's a very like, hot topic. It, yeah, it hits a nerve, and it's yeah. just like, and it's like you know, and the, especially like. Uh, you know, I, I was perfectly poised to receive Inza Invader Zim when it came came to me, uh, yeah. but because I was like, I would bring copies of both uh, uh, Johnny Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and Squee to like summer camp with me, and they mm -hmm. would like be falling apart, and then I would get in trouble when uh, <laughs> when other people like realized what I was reading. Yeah. Um, you know, like beyond that, it was like it was in late middle school that I started finding Vertigo comics like and yeah. that was a that was a real turning point for me. And I think the you know, the those early volumes of the Sandman uh, yeah. like changed the entire essence of like who I am as a person um, and particularly the the second volume of Doll's House uh, like. You know, which is what I, I recently I've, I've been doing a, a Sandman series. And it's just like I built the entire premise of the series out of uh, out of that arc uh, yeah. and focusing on the Corinthian. And particularly the there is an I think it's Sandman number 14 is the uh, is the collectors, uh, which is one of my favorite single issues of of a comic ever, uh, which is just about uh, like a serial killer convention uh like in a rundown motel and it's just it's so brutal and horrifying uh like all of these little cutaways and the, like it is is just like what when i am trying to get under a reader's skin i will like sit down and i'll reread that issue just to be to remember how how it's done like because yeah. i still think that that is how it's done it's incredible i mean the art and everything is just and it's so it seems like such a ludicrous thing, but what's great about that issue is that uh, the character, like there's an entire other story happening leading up to the serial killer convention and these characters that you've been following throughout this volume, they just happen upon this. Like they just happen upon this. And, you know, of course there's also, you know, they may have been pushed towards it as well, yeah. uh, but it's introduced so naturally into the story of like these people like just showing up at a convention for serial killers and they're all showing up and like, hi, you know, like, 
my name is the family man. I'm yeah. here. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, oh, the family man. Great. We've been we've been waiting for you. You know, you're the keynote speaker. How wonderful. Uh, and they all and they have panels, you know, where they yeah. talk about like, you know, the I love the the one panel, the female serial killer. Like we're not just killer nurses, you know, it's because <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it, it's also I mean, how that whole story was very influential for me as well, because it's a very it's also a very funny issue yeah. as well. Like it's very like it treats it with like this kind of like levity uh yeah. that informed you know i guess my own personal view of serial killers i imagine yeah. a serial killer convention would be held at a la quinta <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I, think, I think they'd go straight for the sponsorship there like, <laughs> who yeah. does the catering <laughs> <laughs> but recently you got i mean you've got to dabble in the sandman yeah. universe quite a bit recently with a uh, nightmare country and you kind of got to you got to actually retell that story a little bit and like and to dip your fingers like how was it to like i don't know put your mark on the sandman universe i mean terrifying absolutely yeah. terrifying uh like the only comparable moments in my like comic book writing life was the first time that i wrote like a line of dialogue for Batman, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was uh, just starting out, one of my, the first scripts that I was working on was for, uh, you know, a, a Batman annual that was being co-written by that, that I was co-writing with Scott Snyder, but I had been brought on to do the, like, I, I wrote the first draft and all that stuff. But I kind of, I remember I reached out to Scott to be like, okay, like I'm going to write all the Mr. Freeze bits and then you're going to come in and write Batman because I'm not allowed to write Batman yet. Like I have not earned the right <laughs> to write Batman. And Scott had to like very, like get me on the phone and just be like, James, you have been brought on to like make so that I do not have to write this. You do have to write the dialogue for Batman. And that was like wildly intimidating. Uh, and then it was writing the turtles, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, getting those voices right and all that. But then like, nothing there's nothing more formative to me than the sandman so it's just like honestly and i cheated a little where it's just like i in the first arc that we did there are only a handful of the classic characters that that appear uh so it's a lot of new characters which is that i'm very comfortable writing my own characters even but then but you know once i had to actually write like words coming out of dreams mouth uh yeah. that was like uh okay yeah no 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 i have to i have to step up uh yeah no and it was it was a lot of fun i yeah. really i'm really really proud of what we've been doing there and there's there's still more to come with that story oh, uh great yeah 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 because yeah, i love the characters you introduced were great but I, I mean i could only imagine like the corinthian is a character i've always wanted to play around with like the corinthian's yeah. great he's a living nightmare who has eyes eyes for or teeth for eyes fuck yeah yeah that's <laughs> yeah just like you boil it down to that living nightmare teeth for eyes that's let's it. Go. Yeah. yeah, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who eats eyes with his eyes? Whoa! Yeah. That's so impressive. And legitimately, one of the best horror images ever to exist in comics. Like, yeah. just the best. Like, yeah. Do his eyes have little tongues? Great question. Usually, usually not. You, like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes, somewhat, sometimes, like, you see a little tongue in there, but it's yeah. like, I, I had to rack, black voids. I kind of had to rack my brain a little bit. Like, has <laughs> I, have I ever seen the Corinthians' eye tongues? Oh, my God. Yeah. Imagine being his dentist. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, open your mouth. He's like, takes off his sunglasses and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, no, and I mean, like, we actually like leaned into that a little bit. There's this figure that's been showing up. That's like it's a nightmare, but it didn't come from dream. That's been showing uh, from the dreaming. 
that's been show that shows up through that whole series that we've been calling the smiling man that also has like mouths for eyes, but you don't see the teeth there. You just see the like gross tongues sticking out of the eyes. And it's like, it's real gross. I like, yeah. I like some gross shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you have a line for gross? Uh, you know, I think the, I used to have much more of one. Like there are things that will get under my skin if it's done really, really well. Uh, and it's just like, and at a certain point, I think like gore stops, like, you know, it, it, at a certain point, I don't enjoy the gore anymore, but I've seen sure. like lots of real messed up stuff. Uh, I don't gravitate towards the more extreme gore end of things, but it's like, I've watched all the new French extremity films. I really enjoy martyrs. Like, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, but in terms of like body horror and stuff, I love stuff that like makes me makes me cringe and like curl up. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of that. Yeah, I, I like how in in your book that I that I was reading, you let the imagination like really take at least everything's cloudy. You're not sure what's going on. You see oh, yeah. it and then you're like, oh, is that what's happening? And then my own mind fucking runs with it. And that's I think that's so cool. Yeah. And like so much of that is getting to work with like really incredible artists, um, which is something that, you know, like like I love, you know, like I love the fact that I'm working on so many different comic projects because I get to work with some of my all time favorite comic book artists, uh, like the, my favorite people working in the industry today. Uh, and like, you know, Department of Truth, I work on with uh, Martin Simmons, who I think is, you know, he's he's up like he, you can see the Sienkiewicz and the McKean influences in him. But he does this like collage work uh, that like it's actual mixed media uh, and the original artwork pages are just absolutely stunning. Uh, I have a few of them like hanging around my office right now, and it is just the like just devastatingly good. Uh, and, you know, the other projects that I've been talking about, Fernando Blanco just absolutely nails like just every lip. Like we we do these like 12 panel grids in World Tree and he just nails the emotionality in that. He doesn't lose any of the information. He's just like so fucking good at it. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Alessandro Estherin was uh, the the artist on, on Nightmare Country. And like he also was just like absolutely nailed it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Like, kind well, of like, comic, but like <laughs> I'm a comic book art yeah. and like the whole like secret of my career is just like, I have found excuses that my inbox gets to fill up with beautiful comic book art every single day. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, speaking of Martin Simmons, like the, the book, the new book that you guys have been working on is a, a retelling of Dracula, which it's like, it's universal monsters, Dracula. Like it's very much yeah, yeah. like, so like when you were approaching that book, like, were you wanting to take like, is it like a new take on Dracula or just like a different angle on like the existing Dracula story? I want to suck your milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the angle. That's the angle we decided to take. Uh, he's a milk sucker. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we got a, got a lot of whiteout on all of the pages. Uh, no, I mean the the real thing. So the nice. So I've it's been a few years since I've been writing like superhero comics. And when I was like in my heyday of superhero comics, like I was a big continuity nerd. I loved like. How a story like what is the official story? How can you bring an, a story from the past into the present? So it's been a while since I've been able to stretch those muscles. So I set a bunch of rules for myself when I started working on on Universal Monsters Dracula, because it is the universal version of Dracula, like which means that it is, you know, uh, it's not like it's not Mina Harker. It's Mina Sewer. 
Like, uh, and, you know, uh, Dr. Seward isn't one of Lucy's suitors. It's Mina's father. Uh, it means Renfield has a much larger role in the whole story. Uh, it means they don't go back to Transylvania at the end. And John Harker never went to Transylvania. Like, that, all of those things all come from the original movie. Uh, so the, like, I, I leaned into that, that iteration uh, of the, of the story and made, and tried to make sure that nothing that happened in the comic contradicts the scene in the movie. Uh, so it all happens around the corners of it. But the challenge was then to how did you tell a very human story in and around the corners of that? And that, that was like, it was a tremendous challenge, but it was like, you know, and, th and then the other primary goal of the entire project is how do I like just leave room for Martin to draw the coolest images of Dracula ever. And that was my initial focus. And then he drew the first scene with Renfield. And I didn't even describe how, like, I wanted Renfield depicted. But he depicted him almost like a ghost. Like, his face is almost featureless. He's, like, uh, right out of, like, German expressionism. It's just, like, it's, like, uh, like uh, dark-lined eyes and a mouth, like, in the darkness. And it's just, like, but just, like, this blinding white, uh, like, against the black. And it is just, it is one of the, I think one of the best horror images in comics of the last few years. And it's like, and I take no credit for it. I had no, but the second that I saw him draw that, then it was like, all right, Renf we're bumping up Renfield's role in this entire series because I want him to draw that as many times as possible. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause you can expand quite a bit. Cause I mean, how long is the original Dracula? What is it like, you know, 75 I, minutes or something like that? Yeah, maybe even... I think it's just about 70 minutes. Like yeah. it, is a, it is a very short film. Yeah. yeah. So like, so I guess watching it, you were able to like to expand quite a bit on, you know, what happened off camera. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then on top of that, there are a lot of things that you couldn't do in a movie in that moment. Like you can't really lean into the blood. Obviously, yeah. like, you know, you can talk about like, hey, we're watching, you know, we Dracula was just in the room and now there's a wolf running across the field. Like, but you mm -hmm. can't show a man transform into a wolf yeah. uh, like and it's in little elements like that. And then the other decision we made is through the entire miniseries, uh, Dracula, like there's only one line of dialogue that Dracula speaks in the entire book because we would just we want I wanted to make him a, like a monster a presence yeah. like not someone who's you know it's i didn't want to lean into like the charm of dracula but characters talk about interacting with him so it's just like those scenes still happen but it's not it's not those moments it is the more monstrous power of him and then the the big thing that i was leaning into like strong strongly uh that Martin and I both synced in on is that the movie does this amazing thing where it just cuts into like the eyes of Bella Lugosi over and over and over and they're all like lit up and like uh, and so I just wanted to like, that's like the hypnotic power of Dracula. Uh, and it's just like, you see the like color of life kind of coming out of him and the rest of the world around him is like really black and white, but then like this, like phantasmagoria of color and gore, like coming out of Dracula. And that was, that was like the, the center of the idea. It's incredible. Do you like the old, are you into the old universal horrors, Eddie? You know, I, I rewatched, um, one of the really old ones, I think it was Dracula, actually, like a couple of years ago. And it, the thing that I realized is a lot of those old movies, they don't have scores. 
Like there's no, yeah. it's it's just because it, that you forget how much work a score does. And so <laughs> like, like they were, you know, so they're not as scary as like a, a current movie is because it's all imagery and no score. But yeah, no, I, I mean, they're all wonderful. And right now I know for a fact that Universal is doubling down on all their monsters. Yeah. And oh, yeah. It's, it's a perfect time for you to be involved, man. That's congrats. Oh, yeah. Especially with the, with the land, they're opening a full theme park land. That's it's crazy. like the first like horror land in a theme park is about to open. That's great. And I think that's so cool. And you're a part of it now, apparently. I'm, like it's exciting. It's very exciting. And I, I think there, there's a lot of really cool things coming out of that space. And uh, honestly, like working with Alex Antone and the team at Skybound uh, to just sort of like what they have planned for all of the Universal Monster books. And I can neither confirm nor deny which other monster I may be working on. Uh, but the oh. it is, uh, you know, it's fun. It's like I'm not working on a lot of licensed projects anymore. Pretty much everything I'm doing is now fully in the creator own space. Uh, but getting to getting to tap into like one of the big icons there's just power in it and yeah. uh and, like it's hard to like it's hard to say no to a project like that so i didn't hell yeah well yeah. you know speaking of like you know icons you know powerful characters and all that like when you wrote batman you spent a ton of time with the joker like spent yeah. like joke joker war fucking incredible loved it like do you see joker as a horror character Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, but I think that it's, I'm open to other takes. I do not think that there is a like pure singular version of the Joker, like, cause the Joker is just the perfect opposite of Batman. So whatever mm. Batman is, you make the perfect opposite of him and that's whatever the Joker is. So in a more like, you know, the Joker in Batman 66 is still a perfect like inversion of, uh, the Adam West Batman. Uh, yeah. Actually, I'd say Riddler is probably more in Batman 66, but the uh, you have the but it, like the Joker is it's a fa he's a fascinating character. And it's just like I know people get burned out on him. Uh, there's you know, there are so many Joker stories and, uh, you know, like but there's a reason you go back to it. And it's yeah. just a you know, there's something that's just cool about like, you know, you it's. Sometimes superheroes are so baked in uh, to pop culture that we kind of like don't look at it at face value that often. But it's just like, you know, you're in a world where it's just like this classic pulp hero in Batman, like this man dressed up in a like in a cape with like a pointy cowl. And he's fighting like a murderous clown. And it's just like it is uh, it's it comes out of that, like the the pulp, <laughs> like of the pulp stories of that era. And it's just like it is so like it is like a primal part of our culture and that dichotomy is interesting. And it's like, I'm always going to find it interesting. I'm always a bit like, I'm always going to be a Batman nerd, but I also like, I like the different elements of, of him. Uh, and I've written him a few different ways. And it's just like, he does have to be a little funny when he doesn't, when he's not funny at all, it doesn't work. Uh, no. But there are other characters that I'm, I'm, I'm a bit firmer on. Like, you know, I think that there's a right way to do the Riddler and the wrong way to do the Riddler. Uh, but it's just like with the Joker, you can do the Joker so many different ways. Yeah. To me, the Joker's like a mob boss who doesn't care about money, just chaos, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like <laughs> yeah. So is there like, was there, I guess if you didn't have the restrictions of being, you know, writing for DC, like how far would you go with the Joker? Like, was there like, was that sort of like a line that like DC wouldn't let you cross? 
I mean, I I started during the New 52. When I started writing the Joker, he literally had, a, like, his face had been taken off and was, like, pinned to his face. Like, that's, <laughs> that is the version of the Joker I started writing. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, when I did uh, my, my Joker series with Guillaume March, uh, it was the, like, I pit the Joker up against, uh, you know, it's basically if the, the, the core concept was what if the, you know, the family from Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, when he's throwing the like chainsaw around it, he like accidentally throws it into the ground. And then you hit the beginning of the Beverly Hillbillies where oil spot. <laughs> and so it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family becoming like billionaires. And, it's like, and you see this entire like it's a serial killing family of like billionaires that then they are convinced that they decide that they're going to hunt and kill the Joker uh, because they're cannibals and they want to eat the 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 head the head guy of the family wants to bring uh bring Joker to Texas to kill him and cook him and eat him uh and. Uh, so like I I went pretty far, but it's also yeah. that's funny. Like you do, it does still have to be a little ridiculous. It has yeah. to be fun. Uh, like it can't like if it's just like I don't know. There there have been really good stories that have been done where he's just like brutally horrifying. But at a certain point, it's just like then why is that the Joker? Like what's the clown yeah. angle? Like what's the fun? Where's the joke? Yeah, exactly. There's always got to be a joke with the Joker. That's what's so beautiful about comic books over movies. It's like you don't have to limit your imagination at all. You can oh, yeah. do whatever the hell you want. And then you're like, yeah, draw it. It sounds great. You don't have to worry about like, you know, blowing up a boat, you know, yeah. Just, like, yeah, just blow up the boat. <laughs> you have to worry about the, the artist sometimes. I remember one, yeah. one time, like one, it was one of the first times I was writing the Joker. Uh, I was doing the backup stories of, uh, of, a you know, uh, of a Joker story in Batman. Uh, and I was working with the artist Jock. And I made him draw, like, the Joker was, like, building this whole beautiful scene inside of Arkham Asylum to, like, torment Batman with. And he was, like, you know, doing it in his usual Joker way. So he's making the guards of Arkham literally carry a horse in down the hallway because he didn't want the horse to walk on the ground because then it would be ruined. Like, and so you saw it was, like, four men trying to carry an upside-down horse down a hallway. And Jock, like, almost killed me. Uh, for, <laughs> like, like trying it's like having to draw a horse is like one of the worst things to make an artist do trying to draw an upside down horse like is yeah. a nightmare yeah, yeah. <laughs> we ran across the same thing on like an issue of soul plumber where we asked uh our artists to uh like ha- show like the vatican like exploding or like being dismantled and he was like I don't have time for that. He's like, <laughs> he's like, like they're like you're on a. These are tight deadlines, man. You're working for oh, DC. Yeah. Like they're they're not gonna. Yeah. Look- <laughs> I'm gonna pull my weight and say uh, rewrite. Yeah. yeah. For the Joker, I know you're you're not doing the the DC stuff right now, but man, I, one thing about the Joker is like my problem with it is like as a comedian. I want to see his act. Yeah. Like I want to see, I want, <laughs> you know, I want, I want to see what he's got. Like, yeah. I, want to see, I want to know his material. I want to see his jokes. I'll, I'll lend you the killing joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the, yeah, it's the Joker origin story. Yeah. He did start as a failed stand up comedian. He was bad. Yeah. Of he course. was real bad. <laughs> like yeah. the movie. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. But it, in a completely different way, like it's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fucking, it's one of the best comic book stories ever written. It's got to have a couple yeah. good ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 well, that's the the tragedy of it is that he can make his wife laugh, but can't make anyone else laugh. Oh. And then she dies. 
poor bastard. By accident. One bad day. One bad day. Yep. <laughs> from your grave. Boy, Texas Pete is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around. It's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try Every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chop, Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chai, and it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST. 24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations. What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. 
You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with your seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. So last time you were on the show, we talked about uh, Blue Book, Betty and Barney Hill. This month, you've got a new Blue Book coming out, 1947. Tell us about 1947. So, you know, it, it brings me back together with uh, Michael Avon Oming, uh, who right. is just absolutely incredible. If you haven't read Powers by him and Brian Michael Bendis, go read Powers. It is like one of the best blends of like superhero and noir that's ever been done. Yeah. Uh, it's a couple of cops in a town of superheroes. Cool. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Uh, and so, but you know, like Blue Book came together because, you know, Mike and I are like big UFO nerds and he was a big fan of Department of Truth, reached out to me and it was just like, hey, like, you know, he was excited about how I was talking about UFOs in there. And then we start the conversation kind of picked up from there. Uh, and then ultimately we decided that, you know, something that uh, I'd been missing since like I was a kid was just there used to be like lots of comics that were telling uh, like the strange but true stories. It was the, you know, stories of the paranormal story. And it was just like based on the actual like accounts of the paranormal. So right now I'm kind of calling that like, you know, it's like the cousin of true crime. And I'm calling that like true weird. And I like being and I'm like trying to build over, uh, you know, through the the partnership uh, between uh, Tiny Onion and Dark Horse right now. Like we we're trying to put out more of these true weird stories. And the ones that I'm directly involved in are these blue book stories, which are stories that are based on the like the real accounts of uh, of UFO encounters. And it's like not it's not like overly fictionalizing them. It's not trying to like take one little kernel and build like a, a totally different narrative. I want to lean into like the moments as that like, you know, as they are purported to have happened by the witnesses. And, uh, you know, so that's the kind of the core principles of the thing. Uh, but the 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 subject matter for 1947 came together, uh, like when I was just laying together research for, uh, actually for the Department of Truth. Uh, and the something like that, like no one had like ever said out loud to me before, but just laying the dates down next to each other, I realized that the Kenneth Arnold, uh, you know, UFO sightings that led to the coining of the term flying saucer happened about three weeks before uh, the crash at Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, so yeah. it's the entire basis of like the of, of American culture's obsession of UFOs happened in one summer in 1947. And it's just like everything comes from that summer. Uh, and then beyond that, it's just like the way that the media interacts with uh, with UFO stories, like all of those, like the the fact that like local newspapers suddenly realize that it's like, oh, yeah, we can start running some of these stories and people are interested in hearing them. Uh, like it all comes from right then. And uh, and then the other thing that happened is like this is also the summer that, uh, you know, the U.S. government started building like programs and be like, there's a little too many of these uh, these stories going around and we should look into it. Uh, and it's so we're able to over the course of five issues kind of piece together like each of the angles of that summer. Like we talk about the the Kenneth Arnold 
uh, all everything with Kenneth Arnold, the the entire flap of UFO encounters that was happening over those few weeks. Uh, with, and there's a lot of like really iconic ones that happened really close together. I appreciate you you uh, using the word flap, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's no, that's I mean, when you like, know someone knows what they're talking about when they use the word flap correctly. Oh yeah, no, and I mean like <laughs> Oming would be like he'd be he'd be like bringing in UAP a little like <laughs> interchanging. I like UFO, UFO. Yeah. Like, As do I. Yeah, but uh, you know the 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 term of like the idea of flying saucers, the idea of the, like the public image, and then like what I found really really fascinating uh, was just the way that uh, you see the first people who get little uh, you know they have one re- what seems like a real encounter with the strange. And then they start becoming a little bit famous for it. And then they just lean in and suddenly they see a lot more UFOs and all that. And it's just like, it's the seeing the way that fame spreads and like a story spreads around the country is also deeply fascinating to me. Uh, So it's just like, it's, it's a story that like we lean into what people purport to have seen and purport to have encountered, but we also take a critical lens where it's just like, you can see the, the people who may have been the moments that they were a little more glory hounding uh, than necessarily encountering uh, something like, you know, otherworldly. Uh, yeah. And that's I mean, that was really before the days when we all learned that UFOs ruin lives. That yeah. be, being an actual being a, a witness to a UFO or being an abductee like these people do not. Travis Walton doesn't live a happy life. Whitley Strieber yeah. does not live a happy life. Like yeah. these yeah. these people are damaged by this stuff and people that, you know, come out and talk about their alien experiences. Usually their entire lives fall apart uh, pretty quickly. Um, why do you think UFOs ruin lives so thoroughly? I mean, like, I think that I, so this, you play, you play with this in a department of truth as well. Yeah, one yeah. of my, well, like, we talked about it last time. One of my favorite stories and, and the entire, but the, the Bigfoot storyline. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to start weeping. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, honestly, that Bigfoot story is one of my favorite things I've ever written. And I think it speaks to exactly this. There is just a, like, when you bump into something like fantastic, like how can it not change your life? Like, how can it not like, you know, that just defies everything that has come before and all of that. Like, suddenly it's just like you want to make sense of the world. You want to make sense of what you saw. Um, and it's just like it. Uh, and then especially if there's a moment where suddenly you get a lot of attention for it. And then it's just like it builds up the importance of, of all of it. And it's just like it's hard to shake. Uh, and I think that there's uh there's something very human in that, uh, that, that I think is, you know, it's like sad and beautiful. And I think it's something that is, uh, you know, it, it exists outside of the realm of like paranormal encounters. It's something that is just like, you see people who it's just like one moment in their life that did not fit among everything else. It just becomes, you know, this, like one of the driving forces of the rest of your life. Yeah, man, that's what makes Close Encounters like such an interesting uh, alien movie. You know, oh, yeah. I lo- because it's not scary. It's not. No. It's not a scary movie. It's just like no, it breaks your brain, mm-hmm. and yeah. then you there is no other choice but to join them. 
Yeah. No, there was a story that um that I uh, wrote for uh, last comic book on the left that the the second part's going to be coming out in the next issue. It's a a story I've been wanting to tell for years now, and I finally got a chance to do it. The story of Betty Andresen, uh, who had this insane encounter with uh, a group of aliens in which she her alien experience manifested itself through uh, Christian iconography. Uh, she was a hardcore Christian, and yet with her alien experience, she the things that she saw during her abduction all harken back to these archaic Christian symbols that she would have had no clue uh, were attached to the early days of Christianity. A lot of like phoenixes and worms and ashes and all sorts of stuff. Uh, uh, and yet that's what she saw. She was a housewife in the 60s with five kids. Like yeah, she didn't yeah. have fucking Google. Like she didn't know any of this stuff. But after her experience, like she could not go back to her normal life. She ended up divorcing her husband, but she's one of the very few people whose life was actually made better. She got out of an unhappy marriage found a guy who had an almost identical abduction experience. They got married and lived the rest of their lives together doing UFO conferences. There we go. Yeah, that's, that's actually sweet. That is, you know, it's the, those are the moments of beauty and the connecting in these like little, uh, you know, I'd be so annoyed if I got abducted. Just, just be like, I don't. I do not have time for this. I have deadlines. I got jokes to write. Like, are you? What time are we getting back? Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, "Time's not real." What do you mean? Yeah. Like, All right, you call Marcus and tell him I can't fucking make it. Like, <laughs> Please. So, uh, when is uh, the first issue coming out? So I think it is out, uh, like, I think it's out the second to the last, I should have this date, like, right in front of me. It's, uh, because I know originally it was coming out on Valentine's Day, and now I think it's the one week after Valentine's Day. So I think by the time this comes out, I think it'll be out in stores, so you should just go to your local comic shop, say that you want to read about the UFOs, uh, and they'll point you in the direction of Blue Book. Great. And so you, and you said earlier, this is, uh a joint uh, venture between Dark Horse and Tiny Onion, yeah. your company, which yeah. has become like you, you, it's now your own business. Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really exciting. We're kind of entering a whole new era that's built off of the last few years of my success in uh, creator own comics. And basically we're building up a, you know, a production company uh, around like, you know, around Tiny Onion, around my books. And, you know, in the publishing space, uh, what we're going to be doing is similar to what we've been, uh, what I've been doing for the last few years, where, you know, I I have some books over at Dark Horse. I have some books over at Image. I have some books over at uh, Distillery, the new publisher like this. So uh, we're kind of like we've got our fingers in all these different places, but we're an independent production company. We build the books and then we take them to the publisher that we think, uh, you know, will do the best job with them. And we have a great partnership right now uh, with uh, with Dark Horse Comics uh, doing this like true weird line. And then the series uh, Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos. Uh, You know, we're having a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, these are books that I'm really, really excited about people reading. Uh, But beyond that, I'm really excited for everyone to see what we've got cooking with Tiny Onion. Like this is uh, 
I think the the when the announcement dropped in like mid February, and now we're now people are starting to like ask the question of like what are, what are you up to? What are you up to, James? Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, soon people are going to find out what I'm up to, and I'm very excited to tell them. Uh, and That's great. you know, and the real thing is like we're starting in publishing, but you know, we're we're going to make inroads in a lot of the other media spaces, and it's nice being able to kind of drive that myself uh, rather than having to work through you know a bunch of middlemen to get there. Uh, we want to like, you know, we just want to make stuff. We want to make really cool things. Fuck yeah, man. It's the only way to do it. You don't fuck it. You just do it yourself. Always. Absolutely. That's the way we've been doing it here at the fucking network for years. It's like, just take the reins and do it yourself. That's Hell always yeah. the best way to do it. It's yeah. so impressive. Everything you do. I know. And I know you probably can't talk about this, but it seems like your, your graphic novels, your comic books, they're made to be films. <laughs> like are is, uh, are any of these like uh are you don't have to say which or whatever but it's are you working I mean, on any so of there are stuff? two two that I can talk about uh okay. you know and I can't talk much about them but I mean like so my my series from Boom Studios something is killing the children is in development uh at Netflix right now uh as a TV show uh we have the the creative team behind like 1899 and Dark uh um Baron Udar and Yante Fries. I love they, Dark. And they're like they're doing an amazing job, you know. And it's like it's Hollywood. I won't believe it's happening until I see like you know until I'm yeah. on set like and I see a camera filming you know Erica Slaughter with the mask on. Like yeah, that, yeah. even then you don't believe, believe it. By the way, yeah, uh, <laughs> don't believe, yeah, don't believe it until you're at home on your couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fucking thing comes up on Netflix because I've heard again. There's been a couple of horror stories from. Oh yeah, yeah. People lately have been uh, <laughs> pretty fucking awful. But if yeah, you don't but, mind, yeah. uh, could you like, what is that process of selling your comic book and getting it moved into a film? Like, could you like, go into that a little bit? I mean, it's it's a long, weird road. And th so the other project, like that, like I'll, I can, like I've seen more of the steps of the process around uh, Department of Truth, like which. Uh, so right now, Department of Truth uh, was picked up by a production company called Sister. Uh, like we've, we've gone through a few drafts of the, like of the pilot, like we have a really, really good draft right now. We're going around to directors. Once we have that package together, we'll go around to find the like network that to pick it up and do that. But it's just like, this is something that, it, you know, it's a multi-year process. Yeah. Uh, we've gone through like multiple iterations. We've talked through, you know, a lot of different ways to handle it. It's a lot of zoom meetings. Like, you know, I've done a few trips out to LA to like throw ideas up on the whiteboard. Uh, but it's just like, you know, the, you know, the benefit of that is just like, it is a, it, it's a refining process and there, you know, it like, but then, you know, they're also like, I've, I have watched closely and from afar the, the opposite of the positive refining process that thankfully I haven't sort of been wrapped up in as much, but it is the, like, you know, you can see the long road, you can see the version where sometimes it's like you sell you sell your idea and then you kind of realize that the person that you sold it to is just like they're trying to sell your idea to an even bigger company and then they're going to try to sell their idea to a bigger company. And it's just like it's all about like moving, uh, moving like, you know, a pool of money around in a circle. Yeah. It uh, turns into the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen situation. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the the real thing is, is that it's like the, the this is part of why I wanted to, you know, like have my own company uh, and have a bit more of a hand in controlling it because I want to find the partners that actually want to make things like that's the, you know, and where possible, I would just want to make it myself. And, you know, and that requires a lot of like a lot of relationships. It's all 
it's all people like everything's people but i mean comics is all people too and it's just like i mean everything is all people that's the yeah. you know that's the one of the secrets of the world is you just have to you know be good at having a conversation uh is uh sort of how you get things done and you know thankfully i've had a lot of practice now and uh hopefully you know and you know hopefully i can put my money where my mouth is and it's just like and actually bring one of these uh projects to life in another medium uh but it is like it's an exciting fun like it's a fun game uh but like I always when when I make something as a comic, it's just like the comic itself is like it's the full full entity of like what I what I'm intending to create. And then it's like what I always talk when I talk to people who are adapting my work, it's just like I always want to be like, take the beating heart of this and then build something new around the beating heart. I don't want a direct adaptation. I want you to take the best ideas of this and then make something like uh, really, really good, because it's just like I think you can you know, I think that the core concept can be approached from so many different angles. And, uh, you know, and like, and on top of that, we've seen so many kind of like a lackluster direct adaptation of a thing. And it's just like, I'm not interested in it. Mm-hmm. That's very cool of you, man, to like let people have fun with your work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, that it takes a lot of like, I don't know, like courage. Yeah. You know, and oh, faith I mean- in yourself. Ask me, ask me again in like 15 years after I see a few people do it wrong. And then I'll be like, no, direct that. And I want like every line of dialogue from the comic, like directly yeah. from the screen. Well, the storyboard's done. Yeah. Like you just fire that guy. He's saving money. Yeah, there we go. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us today, man. It's always a pleasure to talk. Yeah, it's great. Great. Great to be here. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm super Super honored to be able to talk about all of these projects with you guys. And uh, I'm excited about everything everything to come. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, I hear uh, Department of Truth coming back soon. Yeah. No, uh, we, so, like, I couldn't skip an election year with Department of Truth. Like, yeah. this is the exact moment the country is going to be messed up in the exact way that I'm talking about in this book. Uh, but so Martin and I have finished the interior art on uh, Dracula. And Martin has dived directly into the next issue of Department of Truth. We are going back like strong. Uh, the next next three issues, I, I've called that mini arc uh, Dallas 1963. Uh, yeah, so yeah. We're, we're going we're going right back to the core of it. Uh, the and up, like we're leaning right into Lee Harvey Oswald and uh, yeah, like the the birth of like what American conspiracy really is all about. It all starts mm-hmm. in that in, you know, 11, 63, man, the end of that first issue of department of truth, man, when you fucking make that reveal, I was like, when you thought of that, did you just like start masturbating? immediately? <laughs> <laughs> No comment. No comment. <laughs> no, that was at that moment with it's like, hi, I'm, I'm Lee Harvey. Like that was one of the very few moments I was reading a comic book, and I out loud went, "Oh fuck, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fuck, yeah, yeah, all right, I'm fucking yeah. in." Oh, all right, uh, but yeah, Department of Truth, uh, the trades are uh, out in the stores. If you're a last podcast on the left fan, it's uh, you know I've been saying it for years now. If you're a fan of the show, you're going to be a fan of Department of Truth. It's going to blow your fucking mind. Uh, and of course, you know Blue Book. You can read the Betty and Barney Hill series. I think is that out in a is, is there a yeah, trade yeah. out yet? There's a yeah. trade out for uh, Betty and Barney Hill. That series is great as well. And go 
pick up uh, Blue Book 1947 and go to your local comic book store and buy these fucking books. Find your local comic book store and go buy uh, all of this shit. Every time you buy a comic book, buy it from a comic book store. And if they don't have it, ask them to order it. And if they give you shit, go to a different comic book store. Yeah, man. They're very friendly, the one by me. They, they order whenever I went in there looking for uh, Operation Sunshine. They didn't have it. They went and called a bunch of other comic book stores, went and got it for me. I was so impressed. Yeah. Which, which store great. is that? Uh, Collector's Paradise. Yeah, Collector's Paradise is great. My my uh, my local store, my store is Earth Two. We got there's some great stores out here in uh, Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It was very nice to meet you, buddy. Nice to meet you too, man. Oh yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's... A daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today. To get 10% off your first month. That's better help. H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod.